Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of family and children's discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland. All right, well, Tony, it is good to be back with you. How have you been, my friend? I've been doing well, so getting settled on in at Faith Family Church. It's been exciting. God's been at work, and I started off part of my ministry by having my second sermon be a sermon on false teaching, which has been interesting. Great. Great. Did uh, anyone question your teaching at the end? They did not. That's good. (laughs) Now, have they given you the keys to the, the private jet yet, or are you still waiting on that? They have not. Uh, now they've been they've been focusing on putting the order in for my new yacht, though. So. <laughs> and do they do you guys do those you know throne chairs that the pastors sit on up on on the platform? Of course, nothing but the best for pastors, right? See, you know, we used to have those apparently here at our church, but uh, we can't find. I, I just I'm looking at, and we you know someone that used to work here jokingly told me that you know we were going to end up on an episode of Church Hoarders because we've had like you know. 140 years worth of, of, of accumulation, uh, but I cannot find the throne chairs because I'd like to put one in my office, but you know, got to keep searching. That's a shame. So, <laughs> yeah, got to well, get so, those throne chairs. Yes, I mean, you know, hey, the scripture tells us to honor those who, who lead us in the Lord. So, <laughs> <laughs> so today we want to talk about an important topic and one that I think that. Um, with children and with youth is a big issue. It's with adults as well, but it seems just in my, you know, this is not a scientific study, but my perception, um, kids and youth can deal with more uh, than adults. And uh, it's the issue of assurance of salvation. Now, I'm just going to guess that a lot of our listeners do believe that we can have assurance. Um, If we have any Wesleyan listeners out there, you're welcome to listen. I think you might find this helpful just to bounce ideas off your, you know, uh, interact with uh, with what we're saying. But um, Tony, have you ever talked to someone or come across someone who had a great deal of assurance uh, or confidence in their salvation, but you didn't really think they had such reason to, to be so assured? Yeah, so I definitely would say I've experienced some of that. There was a, a man at a ga- I bumped to at a gas station near our Bible college. I remember in Georgia, a uh, little gas station I was chit-chatting with. And uh, this man was, you know, raised in the South, the good old boy Baptist churches. And he was, I was trying to share the gospel with him. And he, and he was buying, you know, a large amount of beer and making clear that he was going to consume the vast majority of it that night. Uh, and now I'm not here to make a point against drinking beer. Uh, that the many know my perspective on that matter. Uh, but uh, this man was not seeking to honor the Lord, to say the least. But did he know? And he was very clear that he's not active in church or and have any interest in that at all. Uh, so he, but yeah, he was positive because he was baptized at so and so Baptist church when he was, I think, five or six years old. And he went forward when he was five or six years old and hasn't really been part of a church since, that he was 100% sure he was going to heaven. Um, the you know and as well with children's ministry stuff uh, I remember at a previous church I was at and I won't say which church uh, there was uh, someone in children's ministry uh, that was really committed to the world uh, that really committed to really living for the f- opinion of others and 
yeah, they had a religious experience when they were younger, and that kind of, and they got baptized after that, and they justified their religion as being a true Christian, born again experience because of that past experience. Mm. Yeah, I've I've talked to a number of people that had, especially a childhood or maybe in, in teenage years, I was baptized. I had this feeling, uh, but then their life since then has really been marked by uh, the influence of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And um, not not fruit of the spirit, not a love for the Lord's word or for His people, and but they know. And I, I remember, uh, Professor, I don't. Did you have Tim Booker at Southern? I did not. No. Okay. He was. He was. I enjoyed his class. He's uh, teaches evangelism and things related to that. And he said, you know, he shed far more tears over people as a pastor who. He did not think were saved, uh, but who assured him, "Oh, Pastor, don't worry about me. I, I prayed that their prayer, you know, when I was eight at VBS." And he said, "You know, in 40 years they hadn't been to a church." Uh, but he said, "You know, obviously he was upset about people who knew they were lost but who rejected the gospel. But it was even worse people who thought everything was fine, but they had this assurance that they were saved." Yeah. Um, and so, just you know, through this conversation, we're going to be assuming that assurance is something that we can have. Um, but discussing the nature of that. So, I mean, Tony, I just kind of showed her hand, but I mean, can believers have assurance, and, and even kids and youth? And I mean, what was that based on? Yeah, I believe that definitely they can't have assurance, uh, and they absolutely can. Uh, to agree with what you said, yeah, I agree with the hand that you've shown. Uh, they absolutely can. And uh, if they don't have assurance, I think life without assurance is pretty joyless. It really impacts in a negative way the Christian life to seek to have a life that doesn't have any sense of Christian uh, assurance. Uh, I mean, I think clearly we see that in Scripture. I mean, the Bible calls other Christians brothers and sisters. Scriptural writers don't say, hey, brother or sister, in the case that you might happen to actually be a Christian. <laughs> it's not tentative. It's very overt that this or that person, and it even names name, is a brother or is a sister. Uh, the Jesus even interact with a man on the cross that was next to him, and he guarantees, uh, he guarantees a place in heaven to a man that uh, is about to die. He says, you know, today you will be with me in paradise. He, he doesn't say today, maybe, sort of, I hope so that you'll be with me in paradise. He says, actually, it is true that today you will be with me in paradise. Um, mm -hmm. But that being said, the Bible doesn't ask when assurance I'm talking about assurance. It doesn't ask the question of when you were saved for the sake of assurance. It primarily asks, are you walking in the gospel? And I think that is the basis in the scripture of our assurance. Yeah, I mean, you go to the book of First John, and some people have called it the tests of life. It gives these criteria uh, to look at. Are, are you meeting these criteria presently to help you in your assurance? But at the end of the book, I mean, almost at the very end of it, in chapter 5, verse 13, is that, you know, writing these things that you may know that you have eternal life. Um, not have a reasonable certainty, but that you may know. But yet he, he's also pushing against... Uh, some level of assurance throughout, you know, are you keeping the Lord's commandments? Do you love one another? Do you love the Lord? Do you confess the, the right things about him? And so, um, yeah, I think scripture and, and your, your example of the thief on the cross uh, or the insurrectionist on the cross and Jesus himself assuring the man, I think that's a great example. Um, well, so since we're saying, yeah, scripture does teach that we can have assurance, 
should we as pastors and, and children's workers or youth workers, volunteers, or even parents, should we try to offer that assurance to the, the young people that we're ministering to? In a lot of ways, we must offer assurance. But in we, as we offer assurance, we are called to be fruit inspectors, you know, to be gatekeepers, to not just offer assurance based upon those kind of ways that we'll talk about in a negative way uh, later to later in the podcast, but to be very intentional and clear with what true assurance is. Uh, and I think that if we, and seeking to provide some assurance, offer that assurance, if we as parents, we as pastors, we as children or youth ministry workers are too quick to offer assurance, they may get false assurance. Uh, from this if we're too quick to we might have people like that man that I met at the gas station uh, some of the people that Professor Booker taught you talked about met uh, but on the contrast if we are too slow and if we're not willing to offer assurance then I think that we they may that those who are in our care may end up growing into those who struggle deeply with assurance of salvation. I think of even a church that I respect a great deal and I like a lot of what they do, but they require you to wait until you're 18 years old to be baptized. And uh, they're careful to not really give a, a lot of affirmation of faith prior to 18 years old. And I think that could set uh, young people up for a life of really questioning uh, their salvation and un being unsure in their assurance of salvation. Yeah, there can be uh, on some wings of the church this almost too much introspection, um, and, and so that's led some other critics to go, well, you know, you think, well, you have to repent enough, or uh, that these kinds of things. How can you really know that you you have the gift of, of salvation from the Lord? Because you know, is your life measuring up enough? And you know, I mean, we could go back and forth about all those things, but um, I think you're right that we want to offer that and hold that out but not too hastily. Um, just because someone has prayed a certain prayer, and maybe they prayed there in your presence, um, I don't think you tell them, well, well, maybe you're a Christian, maybe you're not. You just tell them, if you trust in Jesus, he'll hold on to you. Yeah. Um, and um, not necessarily, well, at this present moment, okay, because you said those words, because you did this, because you cried, you know you're going to heaven. Don't let anyone ever let you doubt that. Um, I think that's maybe too quick, but at the same time, you're not. You, you want to to offer them the promise of the gospel, and that, that Christ will hang on to them. So, Tony, what kind of factors contribute to someone's sense of of assurance? Yeah, I, I think a variety of things. Church affirmations of faith or denials of faith, perhaps even church discipline, <laughs> certainly can contribute to whether or not somebody identifies themselves as Christians. On the flip side, you know, um, the deeds accomplished in life certainly seem to contribute in people their sense of salvation uh, and assurance of salvation. Even Jesus refers to it and people that have false assurance that come to him in the last days and say, Lord, Lord, did I not do this or that thing in your name? And uh, that, and he ends up rejecting them. But these people in that passage are basing their assurance, as many do, on the things they did do or the things that they did not do. In some cases, <laughs> it's yeah, it can it can cut both ways. Um, I think too. I mean, some other factors in your life, and we're going to get into this more too um, a little bit later, but. Things that are going on presently may affect your outlook on your own level of assurance, and so you know what's your life 
look like that what's your walk with the Lord uh, are you going through some sort of suffering and, and that can uh, produce all kinds of questions and things like that but um, it there's just a lot of things that can weigh in um, so are there do you think there are any particular obstacles or challenges that uh, that kids and youth face in having assurance yeah definitely For when we're talking to kids we're talking to people that might believe in the tooth fairy or might be the age where they'd at least believe in the tooth fairy uh, and if they're at an age where they might believe in the tooth fairy for example it's i think it's really hard to tell what they legitimately really believe and what they understand to be a belief versus just kind of a sort of feeling and uh beyond just adapting the beliefs of those around them uh, when we are care we have to be careful because of that uh, and when we were careful about not uh, giving it to uh, giving assurance too quick, though, we face other dangers. You know, we have to be really, really deeply careful not to go too far on one side or the other. Because when we're too unwilling to give any kind of assurance that even it's possible that our young people are saved, they m might easily see salvation as something that they aren't old enough for. Something that's for uh, those that are older than them. You know, that, that I'm going to become a Christian when I'm 10 years old, because that's when people can become Christians. Uh, when, whereas the gospel is really given to them now, even. Uh, you know, I know of and this way, teens as well. Teens with assurance, it can be hard because teens live a lot, live in great battles against sin, and maybe in Christ, even if they're not pure. And youth ministry culture, we often st uh, stress purity and you know abstinence as kind of the end all, be all, the definition of the Christian life. And youth who battle against these kind of very real fleshy temptations might feel that. They have no assurance if they don't uh, match this perfect standard that the youth ministry might have unfortunately set for them. Mm. Yeah, we, we don't want to avoid uh, you, you don't do sex, swear, drink, or chew, or run around with girls who do. Amen. Um, <laughs> um, there's a lot of that, and I, I get that because as you get older, your body gets more mature, and you go places, and you have more independence, there's kinds of trouble that you can get into with greater consequences than when you're say seven but um, I think there's a lot of the same issues at play I think you know with, with kids um, sometimes maybe seeing their own sin and dealing with it and thinking oh well if, if I was a Christian uh, if I really love Jesus I wouldn't do this or this wouldn't be a problem um, even the fear of death I remember as as a child myself um, being afraid like really I heard about someone who had had a brain aneurysm, and man, I mean, I was afraid that that was going to go off in my own head, and I mean, that was going to be it, and then it's like, well, am I really saved? And, um, you know, also viewing, and this is not just, because I think this, this transfers over to youth and to even adults, but viewing um, the act of, of coming to the Lord, viewing praying some sort of prayer. And again, Scripture doesn't ever tell us, uh, like when the apostles preach in Acts, they never say, now everyone repeat after me, or um, if you you know raise your hand. Now, we don't know how precisely they found out people uh, had responded and believed the message and how they you know arranged for them to be baptized and these kinds of things. It just doesn't tell us. But um, so maybe they did say raise your hand or something, but just we're not told those things. The, the confidence it shouldn't be in this act. Did, did I pray it right? I mean, I remember uh, thinking, well, did, did I 
did I mean it enough or did I pray the right words or you know these kinds of things and like you said I mean some small children you know thinking that the truth fairy is real um, that could you know you, you could see that and so um, I think those are real real pitfalls they're real dangers that uh, that we're gonna have to deal with with the people that we're ministering to you can see um, that you can see the tooth fairy you might need to see a doctor then <laughs> um so how is assurance linked to what is sometimes called once saved, always saved teaching? Um, and is that the way that the Bible presents the matter? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think it's an important question. I think Matthew 24 says a lot about these, this kind of passage. Uh, so I want to read uh, some verses about a better way than just saying once saved, always saved. Matthew 24, 11 through 13 says, And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And so I think the doctrine that's got from this, that's, that people come to from this, uh, that are of, I think, a very biblical perspective, is not once saved, always saved, but instead a perseverance of the saints, meaning that those who are truly saved uh, will persevere, and that we cannot lose faith, but we cannot lose faith because if we f fall away, we'll reveal that we never truly were in the first place. Uh, but instead of the once saved, always saved mentality, which I think is, you know, uh, that uh, walk down the aisle one time, and then regardless of how you live, you'll go to heaven. Uh, I think that is a starkly unbiblical that way to view assurance and goes away against what Scripture says. Uh, that re real faith in that way isn't something that doesn't that needs to be redone, but real faith grows. So I don't want to say, you know, with this call the Lordship, it's not something like many would say, you know, that you can walk in and out of faith, and you know, when you fall into particular sin, you got to get resaved. No, you get saved once and once and for all. Uh, salvation is once and for all, but real salvation will produce fruit of growth in Christian life. It doesn't grow. There's no life to begin with. There's no fruit of salvation, and thus no real salvation if one doesn't experience growth. Yeah, that's that's well said. Um, and I think with the once saved, always saved. I mean, I don't put it that way. Now, yes, I think, and you would agree, if if the Lord has saved us, then uh, that that doesn't go away. If we're born again, we don't spiritually die again. Um, but I think it's the, the Bible doesn't put it, in, and not just in those specific terms, but even just the idea, like it's this magic transaction, like you, you get a, a ticket to go into the movie, and then you just, you know, you go on. Um, you know, that it's that the Lord keeps his people actively. Um, I think that is a much better way of putting it. And, I mean, John 10, um, Jesus says that both he and the Father keep uh, have their hand around uh, believers, and so the, the grip that they have cannot be, um, you know, overcome by someone. And so um, it, that's much different than just well, I got this thing, and it, it sort of takes the, you know, you're familiar with the union with Christ, and that's something yeah. you know we've lost a lot in the church. Um, it's, it seems to be making a comeback, which is. I'm, really thankful for. Uh, but, you know, in the New Testament, I think there's three references to being 
uh, to Christians, but then there's I think it's 165 references roughly to being in Christ or with Christ. Some of this participation and being joined to Jesus, and so it takes wow. away that relational element when we talk about just once saved, always saved. Instead of you know the, the Lord keeps His people and He's actively involved in our lives and, and keeping us pressing on, um, and then their confidence is in Him. That that faith, like you said, it's growing, and then the the acts that of, of faith and love that, that come as a result. So if it's not just one saved, always saved, what what on what should a believer's assurance rest? Um, you, we kind of touched on this earlier, but are, are there you want to flesh that out anymore? Yeah, I think in Scripture, assurance of salvation comes from three sources. And this order, it comes in this order. The first uh, source of it is knowing Christ is like you said, you that kind of union in Christ, I think that is our first basis of any kind of assurance. So I think of in this John ten twenty eight, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Another, uh, the second way that we see it is in public affirmation. Uh, Matthew eighteen fifteen through 17 says, And if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two to three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So I think the second way that it shows is through the church has a public recognize you as a Christian before others, whether it be through baptism, Lord's Supper, those kind of continual acts of public affirmation. And then lastly, and not to be ignored, is uh, private introspection. Uh, Hebrews 10, 26 through 27 says, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. So I think that shows us that and there is a variety of that a variety of levels of this and uh we do have to be introspective but at the same time we look to the greater authorities that is one, that is the church but even more than that our union with Christ uh you know with children and youth it comes in the same way it's not different with children and youth and how we get that assurance that's across the board we don't have one special church for one age group one special means of assurance for one age group we have this that same across the board uh, for children and youth though that uh, might take years of seeking them fighting sin and living for God's glory to be able to understand and know for any level of certainty, I think, though, that God is at work in these kind of ways. Uh, especially young children are going to just parrot their parents. So, you know, even with these things said, I'm really leery of affirming as a church those who are not baptized and those who have not reached an appropriate point to baptize them. Uh, we talked a lot about baptism and a baptism episode uh, about a year and a half ago, I feel like. It was quite a while ago that we talked about that, and I want to refer back to that episode for those who might have questions. But I think the main way that the church recognizes them is first through baptism and then continue acceptance and recognition through the Lord's Supper. I think that was, that was really good uh, thinking through that. Like you said, the, the order matters there. Ultimate, it's knowing Christ, resting in Christ, what He's done. That that's where our confidence lies. But those other things, our, our participation, others being involved in our life, um, in the church, 
that matters too. And then our own sense, you know, if, if we're struggling with something, maybe we're, we're walking in a, a sin. You know, if someone is in open rebellion against what God has said, um, and, and I know them and they profess to be a Christian, um, but they don't seem to want to turn away from this sin, the first thing I'm not going to say is, well, once saved, always saved. Right, brother? No. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I'm going to be, uh, you know, going to encourage them to repent of that sin and, and look in faith to Christ. And so, um, you know, and that's what even you have someone who is uh, – recognizes, okay, this is a problem, I, help me turn, you know, you're going to urge them, yes, that's right, praise God that you want to do that, and and urge them on in faith in Christ. So it's not a, a completely different thing, but uh, someone who, who's wanting to hang on their, to their sin more than they want to hang on to Jesus, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to, I, depending on the circumstances, I'm not going to come out directly and tell them you're not a Christian, um, but I'm certainly not going to just give them assurance is the first thing out of my mouth. Um, I think that's just that's not good for their own soul. No. So, what are some some pitfalls or some problems related to assurance that you've seen, especially in dealing with younger people? I think there are many. Uh, one, I'll kind of deal with uh, the ways in which we don't give assurance first. Uh, when maybe we should. So I've interacted uh, recently with some resources that strongly suggest that you should not give any source of assurance to a child or really anyone who cannot give you the date that they were saved. Uh, and uh, and I think that's especially related to children. And if you can't tell me exactly when and how you were saved, that means you're not a Christian and you haven't had a real born again experience. You know, and is, that, I, is that in the Gospel of Thomas or something? It must be, yeah. But I mean, it's common <laughs> mentality, unfortunately. I and, uh, yeah. and I think this is a way in which the American churches have a reputation for overvaluing personal stories. You know, Scripture doesn't ask to give an, a complex testimony of faith, uh, detailing every moment of every step that you're in before you can become a member of a church. And nor does it say that because you have that kind of story makes you by de, by de facto a true Christian. Um, you know, in a way in which this happens on the kind of flip side side of this experiment, uh, Jillism is situations where children are asked to you know go through a gospel tract and then when they get the gospel tract back and they're supposed to write the date that they prayed this prayer down and so that they can know for sure whenever they doubt that they're that they're saved and they were led to the lord in this or that day if they ever doubt you know which is not healthy or biblical because maybe after that day they go and live in unrepentant sin it's really impossible to know based upon just a day written down that one was really saved some denominations and even our own denomination there's an easy tendency to want to tally decisions for christ focusing mm -hmm. so much on on just that external numbers that quick reaction that kids might have in a moment and youth might have so even for example when one does a vbs that our churches have gotten some reports that being asked to tell, tally exactly what number of kids were saved at this day and that day of VBS and tell it with great a great uh, certainty, which is something that we can't tell for great certainty. And I think it's just manipulative and unhelpful and provides some dangerous false assurance. Uh, one really great resource that I think is helpful in this matter is the book by J.D. Greer, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. I think he talks about a lot of these kinds of things.
It's a great book. I love the title too, because uh, <laughs> it's very provocative. Uh, and some people, you know, that may be turned off by him, uh, you know, I, I think it's a it's a helpful book and really talks about his own struggles with assurance and, and putting your confidence in Jesus and not in some act you've done. Um, he doesn't talk about Calvinists in that book. Don't worry. So I think your wisdom on that is is really good and insightful, and you're right. I've, I've seen that. I've seen a tract where it said, here, write this down so that if you doubt, you can come back and look. And I'm thinking, where in Scripture do you find that? I just, I mean, I was just dumbfounded. Uh, and I don't mean to be you know, arrogant or mean towards people who use that approach. I just, I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. Um, and I'm open to someone correcting me on that or seeing where they, they take that approach. But, you know, I think the, the more scriptural approach, there's a lot of these conditional sentences, you know, if, and you've mentioned them, you know, if you persevere to the end, you will be saved. Hebrews several times says, you know, if we hold fast the confidence that we had at the beginning, you know, to the end that we are his people. Um, and so there's these, now it's not every time that it talks about faith in the New Testament, but there are a number of places, enough that you have to take notice um, that talks about that, that ongoing present faith. And it's not just looking back at a moment of conversion um, or of, you know, praying a sinner's prayer. And it, that can be a helpful way of, of helping people to respond to the gospel. But simply because someone has done that, um, I think what it can ultimately do is push someone to put their confidence in that act. And I know someone um, <clears throat> recently who was dealing with issues of doubt and went to the pastor of, uh, and it's a you know fairly solid church, I think. I mean, they preach the gospel. Uh, I've heard the pastor give a gospel presentation. It was very clear. Now then, his uh, this the same pastor that gave this uh, counsel to, well, just remember back to when you got saved. He you know, called for people to respond and went around the room. There's a lot of people in the room. I mean, I'm guessing maybe there was a thousand people in there close to it. And, uh, you know, he led people in a, a prayer of sorts or gave them a sample. And then he went to each one, you know, that, that raised their hand or looked at him or however it was and said, did you mean it? Did you mean it? Did you mean it? He said, great. Well, you know, welcome to heaven or something. Uh -huh. um, now, I don't know if there was any follow-up afterwards. They had people looking, hey, can we talk to you? We want to try to get you connected to our church or to another church. I don't know, um, but I was very comfortable with that, just telling them right off the bat, okay, well, you're saved because you meant it. Um, now, I, you know, I certainly hope so, but, I mean, the people he never even met had no conversation with to, to say, okay, do they even understand what they're doing? Um, and so I, you see that, and that was with adults in the room as well. I think that can be damaging. Um, and I know I, I love Martin Luther, but he is. All, I read that he, uh, when he dealt with doubts, sometimes he would he would assure himself with, "But I have been baptized." Now, I mean, his view of baptism would be different than ours. And, and in a sense, like you were talking about, our connection with the church. That is helpful. The, the church is testifying. Yes, we see, um, we see that you are you belong to the Lord. Your life is bearing witness to that, and so there is something to that. But we've also talked about how easy it can be to to get baptized in churches in America sometimes, and you know um, that's a, a problem. People have been baptized, you know, multiple times, um, and so that's probably not the the best place we want to lean. Yeah. 
I think what's sad, too, is this kind of danger on assurance is something that we've been exporting overseas as American churches, too. Uh, I read something one time that I think in Guatemala at one point, more than twice the number of children that, that were alive uh, gave professions of faith. So, you know, there was uh, more, than, more than one profession of faith in Guatemala per person in Guatemala. And, and the reason why it was because emotion manipulating and tallying marks and, and reality, you know, that I'm sure for those places that are getting the marks of tallies of salvation, Guatemala had been saved and it was the most Christian country in all of history. Uh, but that didn't change the fact that there was a great need for the gospel there. Uh, the Lord works in mysterious ways. He can save more souls than that are actually present. Uh, I guess so. Wow. <laughs> Um, yeah, I heard some. I was watching Christian TV late one night, and they were talking about they'd gone to some island. I can't remember where it was, and you know they presented the gospel, and like seventeen thousand people got saved. Now, the Lord can certainly do that. He is alive and well. And the day of Pentecost, you know, three or about three thousand were added to the church. But I do take that. That's not every day, you know. And as you read Acts, it goes on. That doesn't happen every time. Now. Hey, that would have, I mean, praise the Lord. But it is hard to, to not look and go, huh, 17,000. Um, but, again, I you know, and, and I can have a tendency, and you can too, of being skeptical. No. But, <laughs> and probably you more than me. But, um, and, and, yeah, it's something I deal with in my own soul. And But uh, I think we want to be wise and, and be loving and gracious at the same time. So still trying to work on how to do that. But... Um, so how can we avoid these pitfalls but properly offer the hope of assurance? And, and you recommended that book um, by J.D. Greer, which I think is an excellent resource. But um, any, anything else you, you want to close with about how to, to do that? Yeah, I want to say be really, really cautious and slow with things like promising anything of salvation uh, to a young child. And I think in that same vein, I think be cautious and slow in baptism. Because you brought up baptism in Martin Luther, and a lot of people do base their assurance on, ba on their baptism. Uh, rightfully or not, I think there's, there is some biblical basis for a church coming together and affirming your faith, and that giving some assurance in baptism. But nonetheless, like it or not, we need to be really careful with that because if our child had just given an emotional reaction at, at a young age and we really push for their baptism, it can lead to some huge pitfalls and huge dangers in terms of their understanding of assurance uh, later in life. And even if they are were truly a Christian, they might have doubts of whether they were truly Christian when they got baptized if we really rush baptism. Be careful to say that if you do such and such, if you go forward, if you pray this prayer, that makes you a, you a Christian. I think we have to be mindful and wise and discerning with that. But I think I also want to ask, we have to point to Christ always. I mean, always, nonstop, we point our children to Christ when they're seeking assurance. That if you are truly in Christ, you have all assurance, the greatest assurance. Uh, and, you know, and lastly, I'll add, you know, we do... We don't, while we want to be careful, we expect a changed attitude, but don't expect a list of works to be done. Don't expect with a child or youth, uh, they just them to show their Christians by uh, Christians by doing ten more good deeds than they did the day before. But instead, <laughs> I think a change of attitude on how they uh, view their sins. 
that's, that's a good way to close things out. Well, thanks for uh, discussing this with me today. I hope it's been helpful uh, to you and, and to our listeners and to the kids and the youth that they're ministering to because uh, we do think Scripture teaches that it's a precious gift that God gives to his people, uh, but we also want to be careful not to give false assurance to those uh, who are not there yet because then it may, it may be an even harder task to try to um, make them – uh, doubt that so that they can truly repent of their sin and, and trust in Christ and experience the true assurance of being his. Uh, so thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you back next time. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.